Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast and thanks so much for tuning in. Celebration Church is one church in 10 locations across Southeast Louisiana. We are all about changing lives, homes, our city, and the world through Jesus Christ. We hope that you're both encouraged and challenged by today's message. Man, I'm excited to have you with us today for Celebration Online. and want to remind you that we do care about you here at Celebration Online, whether you live in our region, our state, our nation, or on some other continent and some other nation. We want you to know that we're here to pray with you about the challenges and circumstances of your life. In fact, at the end of today's service, Pastor Stephen is going to give you insight about how you can let us know about how we can be praying for you in the days ahead. I want to ask you to be praying for us as we are preparing for Easter. We're excited about Easter this year at Celebration Church. We're going to be having a virtual uh, Friday night, a good Friday service, and we're also going to be having our Easter Saturday and Sunday services. And on that weekend, we're going to be starting a new series titled The God of the Broken. And this past year, so many people have experienced broken hearts, broken lives, broken circumstances, broken relationships. But we have a God who cares about that and a God who can rebuild, restore, redeem even the most broken of lives, circumstances, and relationships. So we're going to begin that study on Easter weekend. We want you to be a part of those services, but we also want to, you to invite your friends and relatives and co-workers and neighbors to join us as well. You know people who have broken hearts. You know who people who have broken lives. You know who people who have broken relationships. You encourage them to join us for our Easter services at Celebration Church. Now today I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Romans and the 10th chapter. Romans chapter 10. And we're going to be reading the words, the prayer of a man who once lived a broken life. He looked good on the outside, but on the inside, he was really broken. Back then, he was called Saul of Tarsus. But when he wrote the words we're going to read today in Romans chapter 10, he had become the Apostle Paul. And here's what he wrote. Paul wrote these words. He said, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel, the Jewish people, to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal, for they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the Jewish law was given. And as a result, all who believe in him, not in some religion, not in some other religious person, but all who believe in Jesus are made right with God. Now, in these verses, we find the Apostle Paul doing something that all of us should be doing several times a day on a daily basis. We find him praying for others. Let me ask you a question. What priority does prayer play in your life? How important to you is prayer in your life? How faithful and consistent and regular are you in your prayer life? In 2011, Barnett Poe discovered that 84% of Americans pray regularly to some God of some kind on a daily basis. Now, some people pray in the morning. Some people pray at night. Some people pray all day long. Some people pray just because they believe in prayer and they like to pray. Some people only pray when they need something themselves in their lives. One time a pastor asked a little boy, son, do you say your prayers every night? And the boy said, no, pastor, some nights I don't need anything. Listen, even when you don't need anything, prayer is an important activity in our lives. Parents pray almost every night. A pastor asked a boy if his mother prayed nightly. He said, yes, she prays with me when she puts me in bed. And the pastor asked, what does she pray? And the boy said, she prays, thank God he's in bed. Parents pray on a regular basis. Some people pray at work. Some people never pray at all. Now, I can understand why a person who's not a Christian would fail to pray at times in their life, but I cannot understand why a person who is a Christian would fail to pray because prayer connects us to the person and power of God. Corey Timboon, the great Christian, said, when a Christian stops attending church, 
the devil chuckles. When a Christian stops reading their Bible, the devil laughs. But when a Christian stops praying, the devil shouts for joy because he knows that that moment, that Christian is defeated in his or her life. I cannot tell you how important prayer is for our lives. Prayer, I tell people, is the most important of all our spiritual activities. It's more important than reading the Bible. It's more important than attending church. It's more important than sharing our faith. It's more important than anything else we do. I say that prayer is more important than reading the Bible because Christians have not always had Bibles to read. The uh, printing press uh, it was not invented until 1450 A.D. and loose leaf books came after that. And, and there's still some parts of the world that have no Bible in the language of the people. And there, now, here in the United States, there are plenty of Bibles that people can read in their own language. But today, you could be in a prison cell and not have a Bible to read, not have a church to worship in, not have a Christian to fellowship with, but you could still maintain a personal relationship with God through prayer. Prayer is so important because it connects us to the person of God in our lives. You see, we can't have a relationship with God without prayer. You can have a relationship with your friends without prayer. You can have a relationship with your relatives without prayer. You can have a relationship with your coworkers or your neighbors without prayer. But you can't have a relationship with someone you don't talk to. And the way we communicate to God is through prayer. Prayer is also the key to experiencing supernatural power in our lives. The Bible tells us that prayer can do anything because God can do anything and prayer connects us to the person and power of God, the God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. I'm telling you, when people fail to pray, they rob themselves of the power and provision and peace and protection of God in their lives. Now, we, can, we become prayer warriors. We need to become prayer warriors. Uh, and to do so, we need to have a chosen time to pray and a chosen place to pray on a regular basis. The Bible talks about the Old Testament uh, man named Daniel, who was such a great man in his day. He prayed three times a day in his upper room in his home. Let me tell you, if you will pray three times a day, God will do great and mighty things in your life and for your life and in the lives of those that you are praying for. It's also important to have a strategy a time for prayer. I, I typically pray through the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, when I pray during the time. But there are other ways to pray as well. Here at Celebration Church, we include, we encourage people to sometimes utilize the Acts formula in their prayers. A means adoring the Lord and praising the Lord for who He is to us. C means confessing our sins and getting things right with the Lord. T means thanking God for who He is to us and all that He's done for us and what he's provided for us. And S means seeking the Lord's help for ourselves and for others. Every day, we need to be asking God to intervene in our lives and others' lives to provide for us, to protect us, to direct us, to bless us, to help us, to, to strengthen us, to empower us in so many ways in our lives. But today, I want to focus on one aspect of prayer. We also need to be praying for people's hearts to become open to the Lord so they can experience his saving, healing, and transforming power in their lives. In fact, that's what we find the Apostle Paul doing in today's scripture. He was praying for the people he knew. He was praying for people in the Jewish faith, people who were moral, people who were religious, people who went to church all the time, but they didn't have a relationship with God. And because they didn't have a relationship with God, they didn't have any victory or joy or peace in their life. And they had no assurance that when they ended this life, they would spend eternal life in heaven. So Paul prayed for them. He said in Romans 10, verses 1 and 3, The longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved, for they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Listen, you know people like that as well. You know people who are religious. You know people who are moral. You know people who go to church. You know people who are related to you or live beside you or work with you who are like that. And even though they may be good people, 
They don't have the peace and the joy and the power of the Lord in their life. They don't have victory in their life, and they don't know that they're going to heaven when they end this life. So like Paul, we've got to learn how to pray for those people because when we pray, God begins to open up people's hearts to make them receptive to the message and ministry of Jesus. So how do we pray for people who don't know the Lord or people who are far from God or people who are broken in their lives? Three things I want you to note today. To begin with, Passionately praying for others' transformation requires having our own conversion experience. Having our own conversion experience. Paul said in verse 1, The longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. You see, Paul wanted the Jewish people of his day to experience what he had experienced in his own life. Paul had a burden for others to experience the Lord's saving and transforming power in their lives because of what he had experienced in his life. Paul's conversion story is found for us in Acts chapter 9. In the previous chapter, Acts chapter 8, we find that Paul uh, was a leader of the Jewish faith. In fact, he had been tasked with the responsibility of apprehending Christians and putting them into jail, both women and men. The Bible says that Paul was there when the first Christian martyr, Stephen, was killed. And, and then Paul was uh, involved again in throwing people into jail and persecuting Christians in his day. But in Acts chapter 9, we read that Paul was on his way to persecute another group of Christians. He was on the road to Damascus when all of a sudden he saw a blinding light from heaven. And out of that light, a voice spoke to him. It was the voice of the Lord. And the Lord said, Paul, what you're doing is wrong. You need a relationship with me. And that day, Paul recognized his need for Jesus in his life. Three days later, he was baptized by a man by the name of Ananias. And the Bible says as he was baptized, he had been blinded on the day when he heard from the Lord. But on that day, the scales fell from his life. His his spiritual sight was given to him along with his physical sight. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he became the great missionary of the Bible, the one that wrote the one third of the Bible, the one who still impacts our lives today with his words and with his wisdom. Paul's life was totally transformed that day on the road to Damascus. He wrote about it in all of his letters in the New Testament about how, how he, God transformed his life, changed him into a new person. And Paul was so grateful for what Jesus had done for, in his life there on the road to Damascus. He wanted everybody he knew, particularly his people, the Jewish people, to experience that same transforming, healing, delivering, saving power of Jesus in their lives. Let me ask you, what happens to a person when they encounter Christ, like Paul encountered Christ there on the road to Damascus. Well, the Bible says when Jesus becomes our Savior, we experience forgiveness of our sins. We experience forgiveness for our sins. You see, the truth of the matter is we're all sinners by nature and by choice. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, and there's a person there with you in your room with you. They're probably a bigger sinner than you are. We're all sinners by nature and by choice. And the Bible says our sin separates us from God and sin can keep us from going to heaven. Now, that's bad news for all of us, but especially for those who've never received Jesus as a Savior and Lord of their lives. But the good news is that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins by shedding his blood for us on Calvary's cross. And when we receive God's Son as our Savior, God forgives our sins completely. It says in Acts 3.19, Peter said, Repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins can be wiped away so that your sins can be blotted out. And when I was a boy back in the dark ages, uh, we didn't have iPhones or iPads and we didn't have video games that we could play in the backseat of a car when we were going somewhere with our parents. The girls had dolls, boys had little matchbox cars. And, and then sometimes we had this thing called an Etch-a-Sketch. Many of you would not know what an Etch-a-Sketch was. It was a rectangular kind of device that had a screen on it. It had two buttons at the bottom of the screen and you could manipulate those buttons and draw lines and draw pictures and all kinds of things. If you were a good artist, you could draw good things. But even if you messed up, 
uh, there's something you could do. You could take that Etch-a-Sketch and shake it real hard and all of the imperfections, all the flaws, all the, all the, all the uh, messed up things would go away as though they had never existed. That's what happens when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. God shakes up our lives and he eradicates the stain of our sin, the scars of our sin, all the problems we've had with our sin. He forgives us of our sins completely and totally. And then when Jesus becomes our Savior, we also experience uh, freedom from strongholds in our lives. Now, strongholds are those things that in our lives, they can be hurts from the past. They can be negative emotions that we struggle with in the present. They could be fears regarding the future. Have you ever struggled with strongholds in your life? I have, and I think almost everyone has. Strongholds like addictions or anger or bitterness or a critical spirit or depression or envy or fear or frustration, guilt or greed or hurt or hatred, jealousy or lust or meanness or rebelliousness, selfishness, worry, and all kinds of other things. Do you struggle with things like that? Have you struggled with things like that? We all have at times in our lives. Now, if you say, well, Pastor Dennis, have you struggled with a lot of those things? Almost all of those things I've struggled with. I tell people I don't struggle with worry. Uh, somebody asked me one time, why don't you struggle with worry? I said, well, worry is a sin. And if I'm going to sin, I want to do something a lot more fun than worry. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, I've struggled with worry as well. We all have those issues and strongholds in our lives. But Jesus said, when he comes into our life, he said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free from those strongholds. And then when Jesus becomes our Savior, we experience fulfillment in godly ways in our lives. People today are trying to find fulfillment in all kinds of ways in their life, all kinds of ways. Sometimes they're trying to find fulfillment through gaining money or possessions. Former Secretary of the Treasury Lloyd Benson said, money is not the key to happiness, but if you have a lot of money, you can have some keys made. And lots of people feel like that, but I've discovered that oftentimes the people with the most money are the most miserable people I know. Some people try to find fulfillment through popularity, through receiving accolade and acclaim from, accolades and acclaim from others. I remember back in my day, the, the, the number one entertainer was a woman by the name Madonna. She was uh, on the top, top of the uh, music list, and she was an uh, actress as well. And somebody asked Madonna one time at the height of her fame, and she said, if, they asked her if he was, she was truly happy, and she said, I don't know anybody who is truly happy. See, popularity is not the way to finding fulfillment in life. And then some people think finding another person. That'll bring me fulfillment in life. And if you find the right person, it can't make it bring you a measure of fulfillment in life. But if you get connected with the wrong person, it's going to be hell on earth. Here's what I want you to know. The only way to have lasting fulfillment in life is to have a strong relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, my purpose is to give people a rich and satisfying life. And then when Jesus becomes our Savior, we experience the future of eternal life. Uh, Paul wrote in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And eternal life means a home in heaven in the next life. So how many of you who are just listening to today's message, how many of you are glad that your sins are forgiven? How many of you are grateful for some of the, some of the strongholds that God has removed from your life? How many of you are grateful for the peace and the joy that you found through your relationship with Jesus? How many of you are grateful to know that you're going to heaven when you die, that you have eternal life? Wouldn't you want the people around you, the people that you know, your friends and your relatives, your coworkers, your neighbors, to have those same assurances in their own life? If you would, then you've got to start praying for them and reaching out to them with the message and ministry of Jesus. In fact, ask yourself this question. When did Jesus become the Savior and Lord of my life? 
And how has he changed and transformed my life? I would like for you to write that down later on. I'd love for you to send it to me at info at celebrationchurch.org, info at celebrationchurch.org. And I would love for you to share it with your friends and family members after you prayed for them. But listen, you need to understand that the best thing you can do for people is put their hands in the hands of the Lord. Here's the second thing, passionately praying for others' transformation also requires having a conviction that others really need Jesus' salvation. Let me take you back to our text in Romans 10. Paul said the Jews don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given, and all who believe in him, not in somebody else, not in something else, but all who believe in him, are made right with God. You see, the Jews had their own thoughts and ways about getting right with God. And many people in our day have figured out their own way of becoming right with God. People tell me, I'm right with God because I believe in God. Or I'm right with God because I go to church on Easter. Or I'm right with God because I'm better than most people. Or I, Someone told me one time, I'm right with God because I know the words to the song Amazing Grace. Well, the Bible says the only way to be right with God is to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. In fact, not only does the Bible say that, Jesus said that. Jesus said in John 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus said in John 10, 9, I am the doorway to salvation. And He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. Now, what happens when we do respond to the invitation of Jesus? Paul actually wrote a lot about that in the book of Ephesians, especially in chapter 2 of Ephesians 2. And Paul said in the first three verses of Ephesians 2, when we receive Jesus as our Savior, we are rescued from a tragic destiny. He said when Jesus becomes a person's Savior, He rescues us from spiritual death, from moral depravity, and from eternal doom. From spiritual death, moral depravity, and eternal doom. Let me just touch on a couple of those things. What's, what's spiritual death? Well, the Bible says there are actually three kinds of death. There's physical death, spiritual death, and eternal death. Physical death is a separation of the soul from the body. Eternal death is a separation of the soul from God for all eternity. And spiritual death is a separation of the soul from God in this present life. And the Bible says we've all been spiritually dead at some time in our lives. And the people you know who've never committed their lives to Jesus Christ today, they may look alive on the outside, but on the inside... They are spiritually dead. They may be a good person. They may have been baptized. They may be a member of a church. But on the inside, they're spiritually dead. If they've never had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. They're not just sick. They're dead. They're not just confused. They're dead. They're not just lost. They're spiritually dead. And Paul says also that people without Jesus are facing eternal doom. Maybe in college or high school, you had to read the Dante's Divine Comedy. Dante pictures hell as a giant door leading into the bottomless pit. And over that door is written the words, All hope abandoned, you who enter here. Well, that's the picture that Paul presents us in Ephesians 2. People without Jesus Christ. Again, they're spiritually dead and morally depraved, and they're facing eternal doom in their lives. But he goes on to tell us some good news. He says that people who receive Jesus as their Savior are rewarded with a terrific destiny. He says in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and following, God is so rich in mercy and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life. He gave us life. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. There are actually three Greek words that are translated life. There's bios, which is 
refers to our physical life. There's suke, which refers to our spiritual capacity that only humans have. And then there is zoe, which refers to our whole life or our full life. Zoe is the best of life. It's the added zest in life. Zoe is the blessed life. And Paul says when Jesus Christ comes into our life, he gives us the best of life, the blessed life, abundant life on earth and eternal life in heaven. Jesus said the same thing. He said, my purpose is to give my people a rich and satisfying life. Now, we all should want that for the people we know. We should want them to be rescued from a tragic destiny. We we should want them to be rewarded with a terrific destiny. We should want them to be rescued from uh, moral depravity and spiritual death and eternal death. We should want them to have abundant life on earth and eternal life in heaven. But that's not going to happen until we start praying for them. Here's the third thing. Passionately praying for others' transformation requires having a confidence that Jesus can change everyone. Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 4, All, all who believe in Jesus are made right with God. You see, Paul was confident that Jesus could change anyone and everyone because of the changes he himself had experienced in his life. When Dr. Luke wrote about Paul in Acts chapter 8, again, he said he was a mean person, throwing women and men into jail just because they were professing Christian. Uh, Paul himself acknowledged he was a mean person. He said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God have mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal eternal life. Now, if the Lord could transform the heart and life of a mean, hard-hearted person like Saul of Tarsus, he can transform the heart and life of everyone that we know. I don't know about you, but I've met some people who've been really difficult, dangerous individuals over the years. I remember meeting a professional wrestler in El Salvador. It was in the years where they were in the midst of a civil war. He was a professional wrestler in the daytime. He was an assassin in the nighttime for the rebel army, and he had killed 319 people but he gave his life to Jesus Christ and became a new person. I think about a guy named Jack who was the meanest person in his county, the meanest person in his parish. He was so mean, he had a terrible reputation, but when he came to faith in Jesus Christ, he became a a big old teddy bear, loving God and loving other people. I think about a guy named Lawrence in our church. Grew up in one of the most difficult, dangerous housing developments in our city. He's big and strong. People were terrified of him. He went on to make money in the music industry. Then he became a Christian, and, and, but people still remembered how tough and how mean he had been. In fact, 20 years later, his son went back to the same housing development to try to buy some marijuana. The drug dealer, recognizing this was a kid from the suburbs, held him up and took away his money. Didn't even give him any drugs. Until somebody said to the drug dealer, you know, that man, that young man is man's son. He said, man's son, and he gave him back his, his money that he had stolen from him because he remembered the reputation of my friend named Lawrence. Now listen, if God can transform Lawrence and Jack and the wrestler in El Salvador and many others, uh, he can transform the, uh, the greatest atheist you know and the most hard-hearted person you know and the meanest person you know and the most difficult person you know, but he doesn't start doing that until we start praying for them. So ask yourself, who are some friends and relatives and associates and neighbors I know who really need Jesus in their heart and life? Write down their names. Now we're talking about prayer. Paul was praying in Romans 10, but listen to what it says here in James 5, 16. The fervent prayer of righteous men and women has great power and wonderful results. In other words, if we'll pray fervently and faithfully for the souls of men and women and teens and children, the Lord will work miracles in people's hearts and lives 
in responses to our prayers. So what are some steps we can take to really pray for people? We know to experience the transforming presence and power of the Lord this Easter season. One, we can set aside a time daily to pray for people like Daniel did. People To pray for people we know who need to experience Jesus' transforming power in their lives. Will you do that? Set aside a time every day to pray. We can make a list of people we're going to pray for. If you'll do that, I'm telling you, God will really begin to work on their hearts. Uh, we can pray fervently and faithfully for those individuals and then start inviting them to join us for Easter services after we prayed for them. And if we will do those things, if we will pray fervently and faithfully for the hearts and lives of the people who most need the Lord in their lives, God will work mightily and miraculously to transform their hearts, to, to cause them to realize their need for Jesus and to bring them into a saving, transforming relationship with the Lord. One of my favorite stories one time was a pastor who was driving by and he saw a kitten up in the high branches of a tree. And he wanted to rescue the kitten and he stopped and tried to coax the kitten out of the tree, but the kitten wasn't responding to the pastor. And so the pastor came up with an ingenious idea. He took a rope out of the trunk of his car, attached it to the trunk, attached it to the bumper of the car, and then threw a rope up as a lasso and lassoed a limb up to where, close to where the little kitten was, was clinging to the tree. And then he got in his car and began to slowly pull away, bending the tree over with the rope, hoping to get the tree limb low enough so he could just reach up and rest rescue the little frightened kitten. But right before the kitten was in reach, all of a sudden the rope broke and boing, uh, the cat went flying through the air over fences and off into the neighborhood around it. Pastor searched for a little while for the kitten, cat couldn't find it. I thought, well, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. But a couple of days later, he was in the supermarket. He saw a member of his church buying cat food. He knew she didn't have any cats. So he asked her, what you doing buying cat food? She said, well, let me tell you this story. My daughter asked me if she could have a cat. I told her, there's no way you can have a cat. She kept pestering me about having a cat. And I said, well, the only way you're going to get a cat is if God himself gives you a cat. She said, you won't believe this, Pastor. My daughter marched outside, knelt down in her front yard, and began to pray for the Lord to send her a cat. And you won't believe this, but lo and behold, a cat came flying through the air and landed in the yard right in front of my daughter. Now the moral of that story is this. Don't ever underestimate the prayers of a child. Don't ever underestimate the humor of God or the power of God. And don't ever underestimate what God can and will do when we're faithful and fervent in our prayers for others. I'm here today because my mother and others prayed for me. You're here today because somebody prayed for you. Let's join our hearts in praying for others to come to know Jesus' saving, transforming, healing power in their lives in the coming days, weeks, and months. In fact, would you pray with me right now? Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Would you pray with me? I want to tell you that God is a prayer-answering God. But he only really answers prayers for those who have a relationship with him. Do you have a relationship with the Lord? If you don't, Pray with me right now. Pray, dear Lord Jesus, I want you to be the Savior of my life. Come into my life, forgive me and transform me and make me into a new person just like you did with Saul of Tarsus many years ago. I mean, that's the best prayer you can pray. But then I also want you to pray for others. Pray something like this. Dear Lord, I've got friends and relatives and co-workers and neighbors who desperately need a relationship with you. They need healing for their broken hearts, broken lives, broken circumstances, and broken relationships. Help me to remind, help me remember to pray for them fervently and faithfully. And may you respond to my prayers like you responded to the Apostle Paul's prayers years ago. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. 
If you were encouraged by today's message, make sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. Again, thanks for listening to the Celebration Church Podcast.